This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. It is now 12pm and you are listening to Connecting Cultures Features on RFM. And you're back on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM. I'm Arina and you're listening to Connecting Cultures Features on Otago Access Radio, a show by, for and about the multicultural people of Dunedin. And today with me, we have three people from the Otago Muslim Students Association, George Lithbridge, Rosanna Al-Sharab, and Rose Abdul-Aziz. Um, and we're here today to talk about um, what it means to be a Muslim student in New Zealand, their personal hijab stories, and what hijab means to them. Um, yeah, and just basically getting to know them as um, people and friends and um, the multicultural people uh, that exist here in Dunedin. Kiora, George, Rosanna, and Rose. Assalamu alaikum and hi. Kassalam. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys for being here today. Um, maybe we'll start introducing each other. Uh, maybe start with you, George. Right. Yeah. So, hi everyone. My name is George Lethbridge. I am this year's president for Musa, the Muslim University Students Association, and I'm currently in my third year at university studying geography and French. Hmm. Thank you. How about you, Rosanna? Hi, my name is Rosanna. I am currently in my third year of Bachelor of Science studying pharmacology and toxicology. Um, and I, my role in Musa is the student affairs coordinator. Mm. Thank you. And about you, Rose? Hi, I'm Rose. I'm the publicity coordinator for Musa this year. I'm third year of a Bachelor of Laws as well as a BA majoring in politics and also minoring in religious studies and indigenous development. Very different and um, it's a very good like mixture of courses. Yeah Yeah. I've like I've done like a Pokemon Go situation like (laughs) gotta catch all the degrees. (laughs) Yeah that's so cool. Um, I did psychology and gender studies um, two years ago I graduated. Um, Yeah it's a very different feel but like it makes sense at the same time so I really enjoyed Mm. it. Mm -hmm. Yeah Um, thank you guys for being here today. I'm really excited to get to know you. so we've got a lot of different cultures here in this room. Uh, maybe Rose, you want to start talking about your cultural background? Sweet. I'm such a mixed bag. Honestly, when people are like, where are you from? I'm like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, so my whole family is from Iraq. Um, so yeah, all like from, and well, mom's side of the family is all still in Baghdad. Dad's side of the family grew up there. I very much feel Iraqi, like grew up with the culture, but dad's also half Kurdish, so I've got some Kurdish in me too. However, I was born in Malaysia and lived there for a few years. Um, and then, yeah, I've kind of grown up in New Zealand for the vast majority of my life. Oh, yeah. I'm from Malaysia. <laughs> oh, cool. I was born in Sabang, but um, oh. I lived in Kuala Lumpur for like three years. And then um, you moved out of Malaysia? Yeah. To... 
so, so I was like born in Kuala Lumpur. Six months later, we immigrated to New Zealand, lived there for a bit. Then like 2006, we like moved back to Malaysia, ah. lived there for a bit, came back. <laughs> well, well so, then I have a, like quite a similar story then. Uh, well, I, I was born in Malaysia, grew up there until I was 10, came to New mm. Zealand for a few years, came back to Malaysia and came back here for my university. Yeah. So oh, we've got a lot in common already. <laughs> uh, well, thank you. Um, and I get you when people ask you, like, where are you from? It's like, you know, so many different cultures that you've been influenced mm. with, like DNA and also like environmentally. Mm. <laughs> um, thank you, Rose, for sharing that. Um, Rosanna? Can you share with us your cultural identity? Um, so I also come from a Middle Eastern background. Uh, my mother is Palestinian and my dad is Jordanian. Um, I've been in New Zealand though for 19 years, nearly 20 years. Um, it's basically my whole life. Um, I was born in Jordan though, um, in the capital city. Um, but I basically call New Zealand home. I basically consider myself a Kiwi. I've never been back to the Middle East so obviously like it's hard to basically identify myself as Middle Eastern because like I haven't been raised in that area but also I have had the culture kind of in me in a way but Mm -hmm. yeah I've grown around New Zealand culture my whole life so I've just yeah considered myself a Kiwi. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Um, George? Yeah, so I would say that culturally, my family is very much that Pākehā New Zealander. So on my dad's side, especially, like, we go way back in that regard. But just to jump on the, you know, Malaysia hype train, my mum was actually born in Malaysia, like, to two Kiwi parents, but in Malaysia. So sort of got that connection going as well. That's so cool. But yeah, like... I can't say that there's much, you know, Malaysian influence on my family's culture aside from using soy sauce with eggs when we do it. <laughs> I, I, I just thought it was normal and like everyone did it. And then I was talking to like my like white friends. They were like, wait, what? Why, why the hell would you put soy sauce on? I was like, you don't? So <laughs> yeah, but very much have grown up in, you know, born in Wellington, grown up there my whole life. And yeah, so yeah, my yeah culture is very much in that sort of Pākehā New Zealand area. Hmm. Um, something I do want, because I've talked to you before, and I do want you to mention here on the show, um, you are a revert. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, can so, you share us a bit about that story? Yeah, so I was born into a nominally Christian family, as a lot of well, a lot of people in New Zealand are, where. You know, you'll celebrate Christmas, celebrate Easter, maybe go to church on them. I think when I was younger, we did, but even that dropped off by about the age of 10. But I'd always, a lot of people growing up in New Zealand often tend to go, okay, yeah, no, I'm atheist, stuff that, none of that anymore. But I never had that phase. I always, even, I always thought, even when I wasn't going to church, oh, you know, I'm probably Christian. Then I was starting to, at late half, at late primary school even, I was sort of getting interest in religion, trying to find something, dabbled a bit with Buddhism, but then just came into contact with some Muslims who I became quite close friends with, and they really introduced me to the religion, introduced all these like human human elements of it, which I had otherwise not seen, and so I started looking into it more, 
and more. And so roughly, it's almost four years now. I'm, I converted to Islam, to my Shahada. And since then, I would say it's changed quite a few aspects of my life. But in the same way, I'm still in many ways the same person that I was. So, yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. And it's amazing to know that you're currently the president of the Muslim Students Association. It's like a really um, big step up and I'm sure it helps you to be surrounded by the people around you to help you learn more about yeah, the faith. Definitely. Yeah. Like I've I've got I've I guess not taken, but you know, I've received so much, you know, love and support from Muslim youth, from my Muslim friends, from everyone. And so it's just that chance to try and give back, try to help out in whatever ways that I can and get involved. Yeah, just immerse myself within the Muslim community. And yeah, the more I this I find the more stuff I do with Musa, the more stuff I do with the Muslim community and the whole the stronger I feel in my faith and the more sort of integrated into this second community that I've chosen that I feel. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing your story. Um, let's talk about your studies. Um, Rose, maybe we'll start with you. Um, what made you study... <laughs> what was the course that you took? Well, all the all the different degrees. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can get into that story. Um, basically, yeah, when I grew up, like especially school here, I went to quite an academic school. We were all like high achievers, very much that idea of like woman in STEM was pushed. And so I actually did all sciences throughout school and like I was interested in it, but I definitely had to work a bit harder. Like, um, But I always found like I loved English. I loved like social sciences, advocacy, stuff like that. But I was like, oh, surely I'll just do health side. And then I did health side and I just I hated it. <laughs> it was just not for me. And so I was like, surely, like, I just follow my passions and try out law. Um, And I figured I'd pair it with politics, Um, not because I like politics, but because, unfortunately, and I mean, we see it a lot in Islam and in the Middle East, um, politics governs a lot of, like, decision-making and how things are done and things are perceived. Um, And so, yeah did that um in my first year in health i actually did an optional religious studies paper and loved it and i've always like george been very interested in religion as much as like yeah like i've grown up muslim my whole life i identify as muslim i did go to a christian school friends with people of all sorts of religions and i love to like sit myself down and be like so rose like you've learned about all these different religions like why not change or like do you feel do you still feel like muslim like muslim islam <laughs> resonates with you and i'm like i'm always like yes but i love to you know challenge myself rather than just kind of go with the flow um and then yeah recently have added indigenous development into the mix um cuz i see you know how it's quite sad like how a lot of indigenous communities are treated and how it's kind of, you know, swept onto the rug or a lot of that kind of assimilation culture of like, oh, like if you want to live here, you have to be like us. And it's like, um, you know, when we, when colonizers like colonized and stuff, they didn't actually assimilate into those indigenous communities. They rather just kind of had them change their ways and like kind of colonize them right so it's mm-hmm. like very into that whole idea of decolonization or at least actually 
especially like New Zealand, like upholding the treaty and being more like unified rather than one-sided. So yeah, that's me. Yeah, that is so cool. That is like the perfect degree. <laughs> oh, I'm really looking forward to see like the path you take in the future. Thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you. Um, um, Rosanna, can you tell us um, why pharmacy? Um, so like Rose, I did the three sciences back in high school. Um, I actually grew to really like the science background. I actually had a really good interest for it. Um, my family, obviously, coming from a very big culture, uh, Middle Eastern cultural background is that, um, is that whole idea of like, you have to go into medicine or like, you know, you've got to achieve for something like that. So, you know, the idea of medicine was always pushed upon me, but I actually uh, really wanted to go into that field. Um, so I did a first year of health science in my first year. Uh, and I actually, I quite liked it, but there was always that pressure and COVID had started. Um, so it just didn't really work out in my first year. Um, so I decided to go into pharmacology and toxicology. Uh, one of my friends actually recommended it to me. She said it would work out really well. Um, so I did my first year of pharmacology and toxicology last year. Um, and I actually really grew to love it. Um, it was really interesting to see the way drugs work in the body and how it actually has an effect on everyone. Um, yeah, so I'm currently in my third year. Um, yeah. Is the third year the final year? Yeah, third year is my final year. Mm, wow, that's that's really exciting. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, George, you want to share about your studies? Yeah, so I grew up, so both of my parents are lawyers. Going through school, I did debating, I did, you know, all the arts subjects, did Model UN. So the most common com comment I've ever got was, you're doing law, right? But I just didn't really want to, I guess partly because, you know, I love to be a rebel, love to do my own thing. But also I just didn't really see myself going down that path. And I would always thought I'll do politics, politics, because that's what really sort of interests me quite a lot. But actually when I was overseas, so I did a school exchange in Switzerland. And while I was over there, I went, you had to do a load of different subjects. And one of them was geography. I'd never done geography before. The geography department at my high school had a pretty bad name. And so I sort of, uh, I just was like, nah, that's, you know, that was a lame subject. I wasn't going to do that. But then I actually tried it. And I was like, damn, this is, this is so cool. And especially the thing which, especially with politics as well, which would always interest me was um, development. So that's very much that idea of, you know, bringing in the politics, bringing in the geography, bringing in the culture and sort of problem solving almost. Like, you know, we've got this situation how can we make the best possible outcomes for people, for the planet, for everything? And so I found geography had that just more holistic kind of view, which just brought in everything, which I really found quite interesting. Because I, I, I remember finding just like, damn, am I interested in rivers? Or damn, am I interested in like the, the how the sea works? Like things I'd always sort of thought, eh, stuff that I want to do politics i want to learn about societies but learning how everything fit together i found geography really appealed and then french just because i've done it for like nine years now i need to keep it up and i want to push myself to do 
more French because I love learning the language, love just languages in general. And I'm technically also doing Japanese. I'm not going to get a minor in it because I've only got four papers left, like three slots in my degree, but going to try to learn as much of that as I can as well. A lot of random things, um, but it's perfect, yeah. And I realized that we have something else in common as well. My parents are um, law students too. Like uh, my dad almost became a lawyer, um, but he didn't. Uh, he went into like government. Um, so yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah, I, I, I understand when you said that p- people expected you to go into law as well. Um, cause my mom has her own firm, you know, it kind of makes sense for someone to take it. Uh, but no, my parents didn't push anything towards me too. And I'm glad that all of us got to make our own choices as well. Um, yay. Um, thank you for sharing about that. Um, we might go on a song break. Um, George, so you brought a song for us today. Can you share us about the song? Yeah. So the song I chose is, um, The Moon by Khaled Siddiq. And so it's actually, sort of his modern rendition of a quite traditional uh, Muslim song, Ta'ala al-Badru alayna, which is you know, a song about Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's like, I think it's his return to Makkah. But anyway, it's this like really quite beautiful song and sort of through his lyrics of it, he really contextualizes it into the experiences of, you know, a new Muslim, how you feel like, you know, quite alone in society sometimes and you just feel that you know you've got you keep going because of that love of your religion you just keep pushing on and i find that it's just it's a song i really enjoy which is sort of held you know it's an important part in my life yeah yeah thank you so much george for that introduction um so we'll be right back after the song break Shah Rath al-Madi 
light shining forth in fear I covered my eyes with my palms Afraid for my sight because of the beauty of his form So I was scarcely able to look at him at all The lights from his light are drowned in his light And his face shines out like the sun and the moon in one Tell me how can I live a life Where I can be right by your side in heaven one day I pray, I pray, cause sometimes I get down and my faith feels so low. I'm rolling around on my side of town just searching for hope. Oh, but one thing I know, I will hold on your rope. I know the progress feels slow, but it's the only way to grow. To all my brothers and my sisters, imagine a day. If Rasulullah came to us, we what would say, we say. back on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM. I'm Arina and you're listening to Connecting Cultures Features, a show by, for and about the multicultural people of Dunedin. Today, we have Rose, Rosanna and George with me. They're from the Muslim University Students Association, Musa. Um, so we'll be talking about some um, stories about being a Muslim in New Zealand um, and personal hijab stories and things like that. Um, kia ora, George, Rosanna and Rose. Thanks for still being here. Kia ora. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about what it, what like your personal experiences of being a Muslim student or person or human being in New Zealand because that's like really diverse. People People like to say that, oh, those Muslims, you know, it's like one thing, but we're so diverse. I mean, look at us like in this room, like Georgia Revert, um, Rosanna's been a Kiwi all her life and a Muslim, um, Rose migrated, you know, like it's so different. So maybe we'll start with Rosanna. Um, Rosanna, can you share with us what it's like growing up in New Zealand as a Muslim? Um, it's quite difficult to explain in words. I want to try my best. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, because I come from t- technically two different backgrounds, being Middle Eastern and also kind of Kiwi, um, there's always that feeling like you never kind of fit into either category. Um, I went to the, was I went to Qatar a few years ago after. March 15th um and obviously I spoke a lot of English there you know English is technically my first language um you know people looked at me weirdly even though I'm technically Arab um 
people still saw, saw me as like foreign. Um, whereas like in New Zealand, I'm also treated as foreign in a way, you know, cause I wear the scarf. I don't look like a Kiwi. Um, people don't identify me as Kiwi. There's still that mentality. Um, so yeah, it's kind of like, a, it's kind of like I don't fit into either box. I'm kind of just like in the middle. Um, yeah. Um, living, obviously I lived in Christchurch, um, my whole life. I lived in Hamilton for a little bit. Um, but primarily Christchurch was where I lived. Um, and then obviously I moved down to Dunedin for uni. Um, yeah, there have been obviously a few incidents in Christchurch that have obviously impact, have been impacted because of me being both Muslim and Arab. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, that's a really personal story that you shared, and um, we really appreciate you opening up to us. Um, yeah, like you identify yourself as Kiwi, but people don't see that way. Yeah. That that that's bad. You know that sucks. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, maybe this is a good segue for George to talk about because he definitely looks Kiwi and he doesn't look Muslim. You know, as what people expect a Muslim would look like. Um, so, George, t- tell us about your story. Yeah, no, I think that's actually a really good way to sum it up actually like I I think it really hit me most like when I started reflecting on a lot of the Islamophobia which happens and just realizing you know like I'm I'm Muslim as but I'm unless I'm like actually you know with a bunch of Muslims I'm never going to be targeted for anything like that like I it was this massive realization that people don't think of me as a Muslim unless they know me and even even then I'd say there's still a slight difference. Like, you know, there's always that, you know, it's like that you've got the real Muslims and you've got the ones like him. And so like, I've definitely found it's, I've had some advantages and possibly some disadvantages being that kind of a Muslim, because like obviously advantages of, you know, I don't face that same kind of outward discrimination like that. And, you know, like it's, I don't want that to sound like a flex. Like it's just, a, you know, a fact at the end of the day that racists judge with their eyes, you know, then they don't have really the intelligence to go beyond that. And so it's, yeah, that's been something of them. But you, at the same time, it means that you can often find precious, like I've been in the room and had people, you know, cracking a bunch of Islamophobic jokes, which they otherwise might not make because they just think, oh, you know, he's one of us. He's either, you know, oh, he won't care. He grew up with it. He'll be fine. Or, oh you know he's not muslim it's, it's all good it's all good and so there is that and i found especially growing up muslim and growing up sort of in a very non-muslim circle like most of my friends are still not muslim there are a lot of very social pressures like for example to drink to do stuff like that and even when you know even when you're trying not to drink there will always just you know like if i want to hang out with my friends down even now down in dunedin a lot of my friends will still the easiest times to hatch up with them is when they're having a party, they'll be drinking, smoking, something like that. And it's just, it can be a weird experience because it's, it's sort of like having to just not re- that realization that, you know, the type of lifestyle you want to live isn't like the normal one. Like 
like at work i've never had any issues with being allowed to pray but every time i'm praying someone will walk you know some one of the waitresses or waitresses will walk in and be like you all right are you okay like they see me like praying they're like oh damn he's he's having a moment like what, what do we do here and so it's less that i've had like a like negative but more you just have that constant awareness that things aren't going to be assumed that things are going to have to be explained multiple times and that I don't know it's quite hard to word it but I hope that sort of made sense yeah that makes a lot of sense I remember I during an interview I did with you um you mentioned something about going to the mosque and people didn't know like there was a kid looking at you as if like you were not supposed to be there (laughs) oh yeah no that's that's a constant one it's it's I don't know I, I usually it's kind of cute but yeah when I'm at the mosque especially in Wellington because it's got a lot more they like, just see a lot more young people there because it's and then that's just quite a bit of a bigger community there and yeah I did have as I mentioned in that interview a little kid look at me point to his brother and go he doesn't look like a Muslim which was yeah amusing but yeah you always just see like you know people staring people doing that and it's sort of sometimes you think mm, do I belong here but then you think yeah yeah I do and but also like you know yeah it is it is different I'm you know they're looking at me but it's cute they're they're happy it's fine and yeah it's like you just sort of have to I guess live with it like just knowing that you know like yeah it is a bit weird to be a white Muslim in New Zealand but it's it's a cool sort of weird and it's something I'm happy that I'm doing Hmm. And you're helping us break the stereotype. So thank you for representing like the white Muslims. <laughs> All good. All good. Um, thank you, George. Um, maybe Rose, tell us what it's like being a Muslim in New Zealand growing up. Gosh, that's like something I'm always thinking about and like trying to like unpack my thoughts around. I guess, I mean, Rosanna mentioned like very much feeling Kiwi. Um, having like grown up here and everything and like I have a similar story like I grew up here but I always I don't really identify as Kiwi and I have this like weird imposter syndrome and like if someone's like you know I mean I'm, I'm sure most of us have had that whole like where are you from question like and you know people are asking you where are you from from <laughs> mm-hmm. and like I never say I'm Kiwi because I just I don't really I guess I don't know like I grew up around the culture and there's a lot of like Kiwiisms that like I've been exposed to and kind of participate in but also like I very much grew up in that Iraqi culture Middle Eastern or just like Islamic culture too um but then I also kind of relate to George I mean I guess like I mean I'm not white but I feel quite like culturally ambiguous in the face like and also like I guess I kind of also have a bit of that like Muslim privilege of, you know, I don't wear a headscarf. I might not otherwise, I don't know. Like, I feel like some people think that like Muslims dress in a certain way of like, oh, everyone's just like wearing like a robe and a a scarf, but like I'm quite into my fashion and everything. And so like people initially don't identify me as the Muslim and I don't have issues. But as soon as I do, that's when like things start creeping in. And like, I mean, all throughout school, I was pretty much one of the only Muslims at school and I very much would feel quite tokenized at some points. And like, it would be maybe teachers thinking that they were doing a good thing of like, oh my gosh, you're Muslim and like, how amazing. And 
oh, you're from Iraq and you're here. And they think they're doing something positive, but it's not. <laughs> or like kind of growing up like George with those like kind of Islamophobic jokes and stuff made where they think it's funny, but it's like you're just further perpetuating the problem. Um, I guess like my mom wears a hijab and I guess I can see the different treatment whenever I'm with her. Like, I guess I've had some like jarring experiences of, for example, we were at the dollar store paying for like a card. And then the lady looks at mom, looks at me and is like, when are you going to wear that? And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> like a unsolicited question. And like, why should it matter to you? Um, yeah, so I've had like experiences like that. But then also, I guess, kind of my own complexities of like, oh, like I don't, present as Muslim like what does the Muslim community think but I don't know ultimately I'm really confident in my Muslim identity and I'm just like it doesn't matter I do me <laughs> exactly no yeah thank you so much for sharing with us about what happened at the dollar store um, mm. that is a really important thing that um you should have mentioned because today we are going to talk about like hijab stories um, especially after Everything that has happened, um, and I did mention this to them, and we agreed that you know we don't want to go too much to detail of what happened because there's a lot of trauma in the Muslim community um, with what happened at um, Otago Girls High School. So today we'll be talking about like our personal hijab stories, like the things that we learned growing up about what it means about what it means to be modest like what is modesty is hijab the only way to be modest um like do all muslims uh muslim women have to wear hijab you know things like that um so i love the diversity we have in this room so that means we have different stories to share um but maybe we'll start with rosanna um because you are physically wearing a hijab now with me. Um, can you share, like, when you started wearing the hijab growing up? You know, what were the things that um, your friends were asking you? Um, so I started wearing the hijab when I started high school, so about seven or eight years ago, so around 2015, I guess. Um, so obviously that's quite a long time. Um, I had a lot of thoughts before I put it on, Um Obviously, growing up, my mum wore the scarf, um, so there was a lot of influence from that. Like, I watched, you know, I, I saw the treatment she got and all that. Um, and I obviously grew up with a very – at the Muslim community, and Christchurch is quite large, so I grew up with a lot of Muslim women wearing the scarf. Um, my immediate family in the Middle East don't wear the scarves, um, but obviously growing up, um, my mum taught me a lot about the scarf, about its meaning, um, why it's good to wear it, why, um, why you should wear it, all that kind of stuff. Obviously, I was never forced into it. Um, I know a lot of girls and women are forced into it, but obviously that wasn't the case for me. And I think it is important that um, people don't stereotype or assume that all of us girls wearing it are forced into it. It's not always the case. Um, a lot of us choose to wear it. A lot of us love it. Um, I've never had second thoughts putting it on. It's, you know, it's something I love. It's my identity in a way. You know, I identify, like, it shows I'm a Muslim. It represents my religion. Um, you know, it 
has me thinking about the way I act in public because, you know, I am representing my religion in a way. Um, but yeah, uh, I definitely also think um, it represents me as a person in a way. Um, and it, the hijab definitely challenges um, Western standards of beauty. You know, there are always, um, there's always a conception that like you got to dress a certain way, um, you know, in a lot of places, the hijab isn't, um, the hijab is forced not to wear. Um, so yeah, I definitely think it definitely challenges Western standards of beauty in a way. Mm. Yeah. That's a very good point. Thank you, Rosanna. Um, for me, I grew up in Malaysia and most Muslims wore the hijab. And for those who don't wear, they were thought as like the lesser Muslims. Um, that wasn't the case when I came to New Zealand. When I became the minority, then I realized that, wow, actually, there's like Islam isn't like what you put on your head. It's actually like the meaning and like how you um, feel Muslim. You know, we I learned a lot more during Sunday school at the mosque um, that is still running um, now that, you know, uh, being Muslim is about how you feel um, and how you portray your religion, whether or not you want to, you know, and like wearing the hijab isn't the only way you portray your religion, you know, you have conversations with people, yeah, Um, you talk to them about your culture, and yeah, so that's a very good um, share, thank you, Rosanna. Um, Rose, maybe we'll talk about, we can talk more about um, the experiences you faced. Mm. Um, yeah, I guess something else that I kind of forgot to mention is like, it's it's ironic because there's that stereotype of, you know, Muslim woman being oppressed. But it's so weird to me because when I think back to like my family, I especially also find like Middle Eastern culture very matriarchal, like the women are so powerful and strong and like I couldn't think as to why they'd think Muslim women are oppressed um if anything I guess controversial but like you can feel quite oppressed as a Muslim woman in western society like I'm quite like even me without wearing a hijab I am used to like having my religion weaponized against me where like decisions I make are immediately like it's because she's Muslim and whilst like sure lots of decisions are shaped by my Muslim identity because that kind of forms a lot of the foundation of my decision making and stuff there are a lot of decisions I make that aren't because the Quran says you can't do xyz it's just like no those that I have a brain I can make my own mind up about different things but yeah immediately if I do anything remotely different it's because I'm Muslim but I feel like if John that goes to church (laughs) does something that's different it's like oh he's just doing his thing I'm like why can't I be doing my thing um but yeah in regards to the hijab I mean it is so beautiful and I'm so excited to be able to wear it one day I obviously will be making that choice on my own no one in my family has ever forced me I mean also yeah my family in Iraq not I don't think most of them wear it um my mom does um 
but yeah like i don't know when that decision is like it could be tomorrow it could be a week from now it could be years it could be like like who knows but yeah i want to wear it when i feel completely ready to do so um but even then i guess hot take is i feel like i do practice hijab anyway because hijab actually means modesty in islam and so george also could be practicing like hijab <laughs> as well um so yeah like and modesty you know you can unpack that it doesn't necessarily have to mean putting a scarf over your head or the way you dress like the way in which you act can also be modest like being humble is a way of being modest caring for others not putting yourself first all the time and yeah I definitely kind of go about my life in that way and yeah I definitely think mm, that I don't know unfortunately as much as I hate to say this there are some Muslims that you know I don't know if you've heard of like the haram police and stuff like that where <laughs> they'll be like oh you're not wearing like you were saying like Malaysia if you didn't wear a headscarf you're seen as less than which is completely like incorrect and Allah didn't tell us that in the Quran there's nothing in the Quran that says that but the personal has very much become political and like I was recently having a conversation with someone saying that you know a lot of these countries that might otherwise do these things like religion is kind of an easy way to control people because you know we look to religion when we're looking for something outside of ourselves and it's so powerful and so if you're kind of monopolizing with like religion or like you telling someone like oh if you do this then you're less than obviously they're going to follow you and that's kind of the basis of politics and that's not to say that inherently like middle eastern countries or countries with like a muslim majority are like bad or islam is bad therefore that's why they're the way they are i mean oh yeah hot take like a lot of these places as a result of like colonization and wars and stuff have you know had kind of stagnation in their growth they haven't been able to grow as much as like countries like new zealand i mean religion has such a huge like element of power and like how things are done i mean even now we're seeing laws being debated and stuff that you know a lot of their basis is rooted in religion so mm -hmm. yeah and not to say that that excuses a lot of those countries that have those oppressive laws but yeah realizing that it's a much bigger issue than just islam equals bad mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah in terms of hijab yeah i guess like i've had that pr privilege or muslim privilege of like i don't present so people might otherwise treat me different but i'm very much like ready to like put it on and have that treatment kind of shift and recognition that yeah you are like a walking symbol of islam which is empowering but also you can be a bit of a target as well which is quite upsetting and you know it is really sad seeing countries recently kind of putting laws and stuff against it um kind of under the guise of like secularization which I think is just so it just doesn't advantage anyone like people are missing out on learning about diversity and different groups and it's almost yeah it's just so silly to me but yeah yeah I guess that's my long-winded hijab story <laughs> no that is perfect and it fits well with like 
what you are passionate about you know um mm. yeah so thank you so much rose for sharing that story um you mentioned about george's take on what hijab is so um i'm really interested to hear about that yeah so yeah that was actually quite an important point which i think a lot of people don't know is that there are actually similarly to how there are beliefs that you know Muslim women should cover in certain ways, there are ways that men need to cover as well. And so, for example, men are supposed to cover their knees, something which, you know, seems pretty minor until it realizes there just means no shorts ever. And, you know, Kiwi men, you know, you, your bloke wearing his stubbies and a gumboots. And so it's, yeah, there is, even for Muslim men, there are things like that. And learning to wear things like jeans in summer is definitely an adjustment but yeah like i think that definitely that point about it being for most people it's like everyone who i know who is the hijab fully has done so because it's their choice and i think that sandwich is missed like i think one of the saddest things about doing french as a subject having studied it for nine years is that i see just what the french are doing in their country about hijabs for that and it's it's quite saddening and it's because when I was overseas, when I was talking with people, a lot of people do just assume, oh, that's just something which they're forced to do, but they'd never do it if we just do it. So if we ban it, then they'll be free. But it's just, it doesn't work like that. And it, it's, yeah, it's something which really frustrates me. But I guess in terms of it, I don't have the same degree of a hijab story just because it's not something I've, you know, I, I don't wear the scarf. I, it would be weird if I did. <laughs> and, um, yeah, but I do remember one story, which I guess I can just say is like, you know, the, to see how far I've come. But I remember when I was like eight or 10 and I was in the airport at Dubai, this little little guy seeing all the women in there, like, I think that was even, they were even in the bar, so it was like, yeah, this was in Dubai. But like, I just remember looking like, what is that? And being like almost scared because I was a little child and I'd never seen anything like it before. But I think that that really shows, you know, when we don't learn about these kinds of things, they can be objects of fear. They can be just like, oh, what is that? That's that must, you know, that's so different to what I'm used to. That must be an object of, you know, oppression. That must be an object of torture because it looks different to what I'm used to. But when we actually learn, when we actually talk to people, that's when you start to realize that no, this is just it's something that some people choose to do. To to that, it's like it's the same as like, would you, you know. If you'd go up to someone and say, hey, you know, like in New Zealand society, we very much believe that stuff like, you know, like slut shaming, like the idea of, you know, oh, you're wearing something too short that, you know, we believe that that's, you know, that's not something which is accepted. So why do we accept saying, oh, your clothes are too long? You know, you're covering too much. Like people should be able to choose, you know, wear what they want to wear. And I think that that's something which often some people miss is that, just as some people, you know, believe that certain things can be shown, similarly, some people choose, you know, by themselves that they don't want to show certain things. And I don't think that that's something which I think, you know, there's just a lot too much of a fuss which is made about a lot of these issues and they get really tangled up and it becomes a lot more than that. Like, it's not about wearing a hijab. It's about should these Muslims be allowed to do something in their thing like the discourse you see in france is like oh you know it's the same for everyone but what we forget is that catholics in france would also wear very religious things until they were literally genocided by secular regimes and now that's become 
not part of their culture. And so I think what we just need to do is just take a step back and say, hey, wear it. Like, it's not a problem, I guess. That's, sorry, that was very rambly, but... Mm. No, that's very right. good. Um, yeah, when you mentioned it's not a problem, like, it shouldn't be a problem, you know? Like, wear whatever you want. Mm, <laughs> it's I like... definitely think, I don't know, like, I try to wonder why people would have a problem and like I guess maybe there's a lot of like I mean George touched on slut shaming maybe there's a lot of trauma of like in the past people being told like oh you can't wear this you can't wear that um where am I going with this and so like if they see someone wearing a headscarf they they might think and like be like oh this person therefore thinks what I'm doing is wrong but it's like actually you know even in the Quran we're taught not to judge anyone and Mm -hmm. yeah that goes like even within muslim community like everyone's got their own interpretations i feel like people really think islam is just this like concrete like and obviously we, everyone does things differently and we're not allowed to judge and in the end it's allah that knows i mean allah knows everything that we're gonna do right so yeah um highlighting that too um yeah and that it doesn't just have to be one way yeah and people have mm. different, like, personal journeys. It's like, mm. you just can't judge someone for wearing, like, a short hijab. Yeah. You know? And maybe Allah wants us to go on that personal journey because, like, maybe there's something for us to learn where you can't just, you know, halt someone and everything's written out for us, right? Mm. Yeah. Mm. That was a really good reflection, guys. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I'm really glad that we had like very diverse stories, um, and I'm really glad George is here because he can share that. You know, um, men they also have their own version of hijab um, because I feel like you know Muslim women. It's like um, people think that um, it's quite sexist that only women have like these rules but actually no like um like men to have their responsibilities or the things that uh is being asked from them so it's not just like a woman thing um so i'm really glad that we had this conversation uh we might go on a song break um rosanna you brought a song for us today I did. Um, so the song that I choose is called Kun Enter. Um, it talks about the idea of being happy with what you have and being yourself. And obviously with the idea of being a Muslim, wearing a hijab in New Zealand, it's so easy to stray away from your beliefs and your values. Um, and I also think that ties into the idea that um, George and Rose were also saying that, like, you know, you're always going to have a different view from everyone else. It doesn't really matter. Um so I think something to take away from this is that it's always important to be yourself. Um, yeah, you're always going to have different viewpoints, different beliefs from everyone else. But I think as long as you respect one another, don't harm one another, I think it's always important to be able to live your life. That's a really yeah. good um, like meaning behind the song. Um, so we'll be right back after this break. لأجاريهم قلت ظاهر ما فيهم فبدوت شخصا آخر كي أتفاخر 
وظننت أنا أني بذلك حزت غنى فوجدت أني خاسر فتلك مظاهر لا 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 نحتاج المال كي نستاد جمالا جوهرنا هنا في القلب تلا لا 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 نرضي الناس بمالا نرضاه لنا حالا ذاك جمالنا يسمو يتعالى back on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM. I'm Arina and you're listening to Connecting Cultures Features here on Otago Access Radio. And we are here with George, Rosanna and Rose. Hi. <laughs> Just always that awkward pause. Um, um, so for the last part of the show, we'll talk about Musa. I mean, like one of you or all of you can talk about Musa. Um, so before we end the show, we'll know more about um, the association itself. If I remember correctly from the presentation we had last year, Musa itself is actually the oldest Muslim body in um, Dunedin. So it was founded by Muslim students at the university. And as the, because I guess, you know, that was 
to my understanding, the first major community of Muslims in Dunedin would have been international students coming here. But as the university's grown, as sort of, you know, more people have moved to New Zealand as well, the greater the overall community grew bigger. So Musa became Uma, the Otago Muslim Association. And then I think even later, Musa broke off again because we decided, hey, let's have a student association again. And so essentially what Musa is, is it's a place for all Muslim students at the uni to come together to just, at, at, at the essence, it's just to bring everyone together. But we try and run events throughout the year. So last year we ran iftar meals during Ramadan. We ran Eid celebrations. We had, you know, we had, we try, what we try and do is just as much as we can, which we want Musa to be this place where everyone can come can share and can engage with each other and can find that safe place because a lot of campus life does sadly revolve you know around drinking partying doing drugs you know that's a lot of what we hear about is that's the Dunedin lifestyle but that's not the lifestyle that a lot of us choose to live and for new students coming in and for other ones it's like if you don't have somewhere to go to it can be a lot easier to just think oh well you know, I'm going to be missing out on so much if I don't do that. And I know I had that mindset to a degree when I first came down to Dunedin. But it's the, like knowing that there's you know somewhere we can go, some like-minded people who can run some events. I think that definitely helped me a lot. And I think that's something we're really trying to do. We hope to run some events throughout this year, but it's definitely been complicated a lot by COVID. We, yeah that's been quite a pain for us yeah and that's totally understandable um and for our listeners out there um is there a contact or a place they can find musa online yeah so we've got a facebook page and a instagram page i can't remember the ads off the top of my head but yeah so just search us up on either social media and like us a message like we are always keen to hear from people we're always keen to talk about anything like be it you know muslim students who are interested in coming along for events non-muslim students who want to you know learn more about islam chat to us or even if someone's just like hey i want to meet a muslim i want to find out about what you guys think like you know flick us a message i'm i know i'll be happy to come around say hi have a chat like yeah we're a pretty we're a pretty chill group of people who like to have fun and like to help out Muslim students as best we can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my experience with Musa has been like very community-mindedness. You know, it's very community-focused uh, and I really enjoyed my time during <laughs> when I was a student. Um, yeah, so I'm really looking forward to your team and what you guys do this year. Yeah, definitely. And I think team, that's the most important word there. Like mm. everyone in the committee brings so much and is so valuable like last year I really one of the things which really I enjoyed was that knowing that didn't matter what role you were like you know I was just an executive member but even for a lot of it but even then you know my voice was valued and like if we've got people just in the community like not even in our committee people who propose something great we're always happy to hear it because we are yeah we're a community space we're a community team and that's what's important to us yeah well, thank you so much, guys, for being here today. I wish we had more time to talk to you guys about like other things. Um, but like, this is such a great 
initial introduction um and i look forward to you know have you guys here again in the show thank you so much for inviting us on here it's always a pleasure thank you (laughs) thank you thanks for listening to connecting cultures features on rfm This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.